My name is Dr. Brendan Long. I'm a Senior Research Fellow at Charles Sturt University, and I'm welcoming you to the podcast of The Long View. In The Long View, we look at the economics of the COVID crisis and its effect on the people of Canberra. And um, my guest today, and I'm very honoured to have this guest today, is the Chief Minister, Andrew Barr who has um, obviously made such a contribution to the life of this city, both as Chief Minister and has uh, a Cabinet Minister since 2006. So, Andrew, it's great to have you on. Thanks very much, Brendan. Good to be here. Um, These podcasts, as I said, tend to focus on the economics of COVID. And, uh, you know, one of the important things that's just happened uh, has you, you have been able to outline the budget update with a new set of numbers and policy responses, which I believe was released last Thursday. So, uh, Andrew, it might be just appropriate to outline some of the key messages from the budget update and some of the key outcomes and projections. Terrific. Well, thanks, Brendan. Yes, so the objective really has been to align Uh, the Territory's fiscal policy with the monetary policy settings of the Reserve Bank of Australia and the the very clear economic advice that all state and territory governments are receiving uh, from the Reserve Bank Governor uh, and indeed from our own heads of Treasury. And and that is that we have to adopt an expansionary fiscal policy at this time uh, and really with three key priorities. Uh, One is income support which principally sits with the Australian government, but there are uh, various forms of assistance that state and territory governments have provided to people who've not received income support from the Commonwealth. And and in our case, that that has involved uh, students, casual workers who've been with their employer for less than 12 months, asylum seekers, uh, other people who are, are not eligible for Australian government assistance. So that's been one part of the uh, the economic response. Uh, another has been uh, to focus our new spend and our expansionary spend on uh, elements that have a very high fiscal multiplier. Uh, and so the advice here has been that investment in infrastructure and support for lower income households uh, has the highest fiscal multiplier that not only uh, increases aggregate demand in the economy, but also uh, targets employment creation. Uh, And then the third element uh, of the economic response has been to look uh, at the regulatory side uh, of government operations, and that's uh, highlighted a number of reform areas, uh, tax reform being one, uh, planning reform uh, being another, uh, and then uh, regulatory uh, measures that we've adopted during the pandemic that could in fact be kept beyond the pandemic. And there's some practical examples in the ACT uh, where we've undertaken some uh, easing of regulatory uh, responsibilities and requirements. Uh, For example, around the hospitality sector, uh, where we've we've given greater flexibility around outdoor dining space to enable people to socially distance and and yet let small businesses continue to have enough patrons to to generate sufficient income for their business. It's been uh, allowing particular uh, 
hospitality venues uh, to transfer license uh, types uh, across different categories to reflect the fact that at various points in the pandemic, the public health directions have not allowed them to, uh, to serve alcohol uh, inside a venue or to serve alcohol to customers other than those who are seated. So we've allowed the takeaway sale of alcohol, for example, by, uh, by license holders. So they're just a couple of very practical examples of, of where we've uh, introduced regulatory measures uh, or relaxation of those measures during the pandemic that, that could be kept. In terms of the, the territory budget position, uh, yes, we are, we are running uh, headline uh, net operating deficits uh, and will be over the forward estimates period, although deficits diminishing in size as the economic recovery kicks in. The principal economic advice uh, from the RBA governor was that we really must focus our efforts uh, in the next two years, so uh, 2020, 21 and 21, 22. Uh, and that the primary objective of economic policy, both uh, monetary and fiscal, is to reduce unemployment. Uh, and the very clear advice there is that whilst that will see a deterioration in our budgets in the short term, in the long term, it will in fact lead to a stronger budget position than if we did nothing and let the uh, recession become a depression. And if unemployment stayed high for an increased period of time, that would in fact have a greater impact on our budgets uh, and, of, and for obvious reasons would have a greater impact on society. Uh, full employment is, a, uh, is an admirable aspiration for governments uh, and arguably we had achieved that in the ACT prior to the pandemic. Our unemployment rate had fallen below 3% uh, and we had more job vacancies in the Territory than we had unemployed people. So that's something I think that we can uh, strive to achieve again. And that's why we've set uh, an ambitious jobs target of more than 250,000 jobs in the territory economy by 2025. We're out of just a little over 230,000 at the moment. We've got a pool of underemployment that we need to uh, absorb. So I think in the short term, what will happen is that people who currently have some hours will get more hours. Uh, and then once they've got more hours, there's then an opportunity for employers to, to take on more staff. So that's the, the snapshot of the situation yeah. and, the, and the direction of policy. The Reserve yeah. Bank Governor has said interest rates are, are going to be at this historic low level for at least three years. So uh, the cost of government borrowing is as low as it will ever be. Yeah, and um, you know, for a man who's thinking of taking on a new mortgage like myself, it's uh, you know, <laughs> there 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 are upsides to uh, low interest rates, that's for sure. But um, uh, thank you, Andrew, and that's comprehensive. I mean, like you would probably never have imagined, as treasurer as well of chief minister, that you'd be having to be in a position where you'd be have looking at a, a you know. A deficit of about a billion dollars. Um, you know, it's a fairly scary type of position, but I would have thought um, very much not alone in that situation of any treasurer in the country or even in the world. Um, you know, it's a time I would have thought when the fiscal conservatives, and I would normally be a fiscal conservative, 
um, you know, have to put the, the sort of fiscal uh, conservatism away and, and, and realise, as you say, that um, there is a time for the multiplier effects of the economy to take place. And, you know, in my judgment, professional judgment as an economist, while the deficit, when you look at the headline deficit, it's high, it's actually quite manageable for the territory. And it's not just manageable, but reasonable for the circumstances. Um, in fact, were we to not be running a significant deficit, I think that, you know, the, we would not really have a credible employment policy. Mm. So, um, you know, the question I think people sometimes raise is what the debt levels, but as you say, the debt levels are very much a function of interest rates. And um, something that's been clear in my mind is that we've retained a AAA rating. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that's got to be worth at least 25 basis points or something like that. So it's, um, you know, that it's it's a sort of, <laughs> it's not a good position to be in, but it's a better position, I suppose, than others. And and how, how are we going compared to um, your colleagues around the uh, National Cabinet table? I mean, are, are they, um, how are they, how's the ACT faring uh, compared to the states and territories? Well, look, our, our starting point was strong, as you've identified, uh, with you know, low levels of public debt, a, a AAA credit rating that we, we shared only with New South Wales and Victoria amongst mm -hmm. the uh, Australian states and territories. Look, the situation uh, varies across the country, uh, depending on starting points of jurisdictions and then uh, also how much uh, COVID has impacted uh, on economies. So clearly Victoria uh, are having a very tough time at the moment. Uh, mm. They started with a, a strong base like us, a AAA credit rating uh, and relatively low levels of, uh, of public debt. Uh, but clearly their situation is somewhat different from, uh, from the other states and territories. For comparable jurisdictions with the ACT in terms of size of economy and size of budget, we're doing uh, uh, about, well, the Northern Territory is in a situation perhaps twice as, uh, as uh, uh, significant as, uh, as our, us in terms of net debt levels and headline net operating balance deterioration. Uh, Tasmania is, is similar to the ACT, expecting uh, uh, operating deficits of, of around a billion dollars and uh, with a level of, of net debt. When you then do the uh, per capita comparisons with the other states, uh, some were in a weaker starting point than the ACT uh, and their budgets have deteriorated uh, sort of proportionally the same. Uh, what I think we're going to see though is that the mining resource uh, jurisdictions uh, will be in a, a stronger position than the service export economies. Mm. Uh, because of the nature of, uh, of the pandemic and what that does to, um, to some of uh, the bigger mm. uh, export sectors, particularly in Southeast Australia. I mean, look, our, our net debt was at about 7% of GSP and will probably double over the yeah. next four to five years uh, to about 14, 15%. Uh, the Commonwealth uh, are now at 26% of GSP and will reach 45%. So yeah. uh, compared to the Commonwealth, uh, uh, we're, we're in, a, in a much sounder position. Now, granted, they, they of course, have income taxing powers, so they've got uh, the capacity to, to raise revenue in ways that we can't. Uh, but then we've also got a very strong asset base. So the net worth of the territory is, uh, is very significant. 
Uh, and part of our economic recovery uh, certainly will involve uh, further asset sales, namely undeveloped land. Yeah. Uh, and that presents investment opportunities for our economy and also opportunities to build new housing, uh, both uh, social housing, public housing, uh, and uh, uh, new private housing. And that is also an economic driver for our city. Yeah, that's the, um, what was the line in the Canberra Times, bar the builder. Um, can he fix it? Well, you know, obviously, um, obviously, construction is a sector which where is capacity to absorb some of the, you know, the underemployed and some of the slack that may happen in the labour market. So be that infrastructure or be that residential construction, it seems to be, um, you know, the uh, obvious place to turn to. And the, one, the budget update did have some significant uh, infrastructure investments um, in education, health and transport. Um, some of these quite exciting for a candidate, for a, for a person who, who, um, who, who lives in the Woden area. Um, so, um, what were the key messages from the um, from the infrastructure section of the up budget update? Mm. Look, I think the important point is that uh, this is an opportunity to bring forward some significant public infrastructure investment that leaves a lasting legacy. It's not uh, an opportunity uh, to dream up projects that have not been well thought mm. through and, and had yeah. uh, preparation work undertaken. Uh, and so there are three main projects uh, that, that we're pursuing at this time uh, that are all uh, in, uh, in the Woden area. Uh, so the expansion of Canberra Hospital, the new Woden CIT and public transport interchange, uh, and then the extension of light rail uh, from the city through the parliamentary triangle uh, to Woden. Uh, are all long-term infrastructure projects on uh, on timeframes of delivery of 2022, 2024, uh, and then and then beyond into the sort of the middle part of the decade, uh, with with uh, each with its uh, a separate fiscal profile. Uh, but we had made provision within our forward infrastructure program and within our budget for these projects, so. The fiscal planning for them uh, has been many years in the making. Uh, each will contribute uh, hundreds and thousands of jobs in the construction phase, uh, but then will also lead to ongoing employment and importantly, increase the productive capacity uh, of the territory economy. And the, the skills investment is, is particularly important at this time. Uh, there will be a pool of people uh, for whom uh, completion of year 12 uh, might have normally seen a gap year being taken. Uh, the, you know, the options for international travel and the like are a bit less yeah. for young people at the moment. Yeah. So we're expecting during the economic downturn that there'll be an increase uh, in interest in education and training. Uh, Canberra is Australia's education capital. So it's both an opportunity uh, for our economy in terms of attracting students, domestic students here, uh, but also uh, then churning out a, uh, a very skilled workforce and adding to our labour productivity, which is already amongst the highest in the nation, uh, but a skilled workforce uh, in a high-value uh, employment context for uh, a service-based economy uh, really is where the ACT is, is positioned in terms of 
the Australian economy uh, and indeed the economy in, in this uh, sort of Southeast Asian region. Yeah, it's a, um, I mean, it, especially the infrastructure and transport spend. I mean, it's a classic textbook Keynesian response. And I accept what you're saying that, you know, like we just had, there's no new, um, there, there, there's no policy done on the run. It's really a bringing forward or, and a reshaping of the fiscal, the pattern of expenditure. But the extent to which we can bring forward infrastructure spends is, um, to me, seems to be exactly in line with the, what the Reserve Bank Governor has called for state and territory governments to do. And, um, of course, it's due to the low interest rates. But it's also because, as you say, um, fiscal policy has to take the slack. I mean, I, the economic impact of monetary policy, I think, is diminishing. And and even when we're going to the creation of money, uh, quantitative easing, which we're sort of doing, and massive uh, buybacks of bonds, it's still not really going to have as bigger effect, I think, uh, in terms of immediate stimulus as a fiscal policy stimulus. So in, infrastructure seems to be the obvious place I would go first if I wanted to to, um, to stimulate the economy. And of course, the next one is jobs. I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, we economists talk about the NIRU, the non-accelerated inflation rate of unemployment, the, the unemployment rate where you can't um, you can't push it down further than without creating inflation. Well, 3% is a pretty, a pretty good outcome. I mean, I agree. That's full employment. Um, now, of course, we're not going to get that now, but um, we can get back to that. And so um, what, what's the, um, what, what are the, some of the key elements of the job strategy in addition to the, the, the stuff you've already mentioned? Look, I think there's, uh, there's a number of industry sectors that have a capacity for growth, uh, and we have seen uh, our economic base diversify uh, over the last five years in particular. Uh, we recognise that some of those sectors are going to remain subdued in terms of their uh, output or economic contribution whilst the public health directions remain in place. So it's difficult to restart international tourism with your borders <laughs> closed. Yeah. Uh, but domestic tourism, uh, as the interstate travel restrictions uh, are eased over, uh, I hope, in the coming months, will present an opportunity uh, for, for that sector that is very labour intensive. One of the other uh, dynamics here is that uh, we have some sectors of our economy that contribute significantly uh, to the territory's gross state product, but aren't necessarily uh, big employers. Uh, and then you have other sectors that uh, have a smaller GSP contribution, uh, but are big employers, particularly uh, of young people. Uh, right. And one of the things that we're keeping an eye out uh, on is uh, structural changes uh, in certain industry sectors as a result of the pandemic. Uh, this, this can manifest itself in, uh, in, for example, commercial property, in retail, uh, and then, you know, really in the fundamentals of how the city functions, it's, it's possible to foresee a situation where, uh, you know, you don't have everyone in commercial offices nine to five, Monday to Friday, again, in the way that we did pre-pandemic, the flexibility of work, uh, being able to work from home from certain days, the technology enables and facilitates that. Yeah. But then equally, you, you, don't, you don't necessarily want a situation where people lose all contact with their workplace and work colleagues in a physical sense. So uh, part of the thinking here also is, is around the operation of the city. 
you know, at the moment we have to build infrastructure to cope with uh, two 45 minute peaks. Uh, if you're able to, uh, you know, to spread your, your transport load, your dispersal of people and movements around the city uh, over a broader uh, frame of hours, then that means you can get greater efficiency out of your existing infrastructure. Uh, and then it also means that uh, future population growth can be accommodated in a way that doesn't put uh, excess pressure on infrastructure. And you know, there's countless examples of, of how cities have grown too fast uh, yeah. in, in some parts uh, of Australia and around the world. And Canberrans do put a very high premium uh, on quality planning outcomes. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, today I had the opportunity to visit the new ACT government office block uh, in Dixon, which is co-located with a bus station and a light rail station in uh, a, a somewhat decentralised employment location. It's, it's mm. not in the CBD, uh, but it is a really good example uh, of uh, transport-oriented development uh, and uh, Canberra's polycentric employment basis, yeah. uh, which sees uh, nearly half the jobs in Canberra not in our CBD or parliamentary triangle, which makes us unique amongst Australian cities. Yeah. Um, no, that's right. That's right. I mean, one of the things that um, I liked about our response is the fact that I've been concerned that there are gaps in JobKeeper, um, and particularly for some people in highly vulnerable groups. Um, and and I think it would, so. The Jobs for Canberrans funds provided quite an opportunity to. Um, you know, fill the gaps that the Commonwealth and I uh, has left, and I also note that um, you know that had a little bit of a top up too in the um, in in the economic statement, which is good. I mean, you know that that seems to me innovative policy. But one of the things I like most about it is it's potentially scalable. Now I know you've got a fund allocation at the moment, and we think things are going to get better within 12 months. But the economic recovery looks like 21, 22, according to the estimates. Uh, is looking like we're going to, you know, maybe bounce back effectively to a trend growth rate um, to over a 12 to, you know, in the shorter period of time. But if that doesn't happen, in the worst case scenario, it seems to me Canberrans, the jobs for Canberrans fund is a scalable instrument. Um, you know, you might not want to have to top it up, but if you had to, there, there are options, I suppose, along those lines. Yes, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And but what it's uh, what it's highlighted is uh, that yes, you, you know, governments can respond quickly to identified needs, uh, and you know all of the jobs in that program are value adding for our community, and they've been as diverse uh, as the clean up post bushfire uh, in the Navajo National Park uh, to. Uh, more staff on our COVID hotline and our Access Canberra service centres to, to assist uh, Canberrans with their day-to-day -day interactions with government. Uh, it's meant more COVID cleaning uh, across uh, public assets and, and, and infrastructure in, uh, in schools, in, uh, in settings of, uh, you know, where there's a, a high number of people utilising uh, facilities. Uh, and so it, it's reflected I think the diversity of the ACT government's employment base, because we are both the local government and the state government equivalent, we employ a very diverse range uh, of occupations uh, and people, and we have uh, a need for a wide variety of skill sets. 
And so what the program has, uh, has enabled is the sorts of things I've mentioned, as well as additional uh, municipal maintenance. And people will have seen a very extensive program uh, rolled out across Canberra suburbs of, uh, uh, of footpath maintenance of uh, all of those local government services that, uh, yeah. that, that, that people want from the Territory Government. Uh, seeing the, the fast tracking of a number of those uh, projects and programs that's created employment and at the same time delivered infrastructure that will be used for 20, 30, 40, 50 years into the future. My, my favourite example of this uh, in a historic Canberra context is that during the Great Depression of the 1920s and early 1930s, a decision was made to build a swimming pool in Marnica. <laughs> Marnica Pool. And 90 years on, now it is still serving that community. So it's an example of public works that stand the test of time. Uh, now it's a social infrastructure asset, now it, but it has generated employment and uh, an opportunity for, for young people over uh, over nine decades now. Uh, and so my, it's, my wife's mother swam in it when she was uh, a young girl and, and she just passed away at the age of 86. So it's been around. Yes. Uh, Team Long's it's, enjoyed exactly. it. Oh, but no, it's a good example. I can't quite, we're almost out of time, but I just cannot leave the um, conversation without mentioning tax reform. I am a tax specialist, so, and I've always taken the view that the Henry Report's recommendations into broadening that land tax, a broad-based land tax, represented the, the highlight of, of, of reform at the state and territory level. So uh, there's been a little bit of tweaking, uh, but the, but the um, tax reform remains on track, Andrew. Yes, so look, the, the research uh, that we commissioned into the effectiveness of the reforms yeah. over um, the first eight years has demonstrated that it, it's lifted economic output, so gross state product is yeah. higher. It's seen more yeah. uh, expenditure in the economy, uh, and it's uh, it's contributed uh, to uh, an increase in investment uh, in the territory economy. So, yeah. the economic theory said that it would reduce uh, a, a dead weight loss in terms yeah. of uh, inefficient taxation uh, uh, on uh, our economy. It, it has done that, and the cumulative impact of that is you know, now more than three hundred million dollars of additional gross state product. So that's important. Also, the economic analysis has demonstrated uh, that the uh, increase in property transactions uh, have been particularly focused on the second income quintile. So it's helped yeah. lower income households yeah. into home ownership. Uh, and the additional rates burden, which you know is, is part of the, the tax reform and has been controversial, yeah. but that tax system has been made more progressive and most yeah, of yeah. the increase burden has been borne by the top 20% uh, of income earners uh, and the top quotient of, uh, of wealth uh, in the city. So, uh, look, tax reform is difficult. I, I take some consolation from the fact that other state governments uh, have commissioned their own reports in recent times, including the New South Wales Liberal government, yeah. uh, and, it, and it's reached the same conclusions uh, and suggested that the reforms that the ACT has pursued are, are the right ones. And so uh, I look forward to, to the day when we have uh, fellow travellers on the state uh, and territory tax reform journey. Uh, but it's certainly it's being talked about now uh, and that's, that's good to see. And the ACT has proved that it's possible. 
Um, he's happy to lead to why on economic reform. <laughs> says, see, uh, well, that's what you'll get when you get two economists talking together. Um, look, Andrew, it's a tremendous uh, opportunity to uh, get, to talk about the um, what our response has been in this city to this extraordinary year, uh, and um, you know, it, it, and the response in particular to COVID. So, I just wanted to. Um, uh, you know, uh, thank you very much for uh, making the time available. And just to say, if you had any final one last comment that you'd like to make, you know, just to wrap up our little discussion today, feel free. Well, thank you, Brendan. It's a great pleasure to join you on the long view today. And <laughs> I think this has uh, this this whole period has demonstrated uh, why government matters and why who is in government matters. And as we head into the territory's festival of democracy. Uh, people have had the opportunity uh, to look at alternative uh, economic policies and also look at, uh, at how political leaders have managed this most extraordinary of years. Uh, I, I hope we don't have another year like it. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that we are now on the path uh, to economic, economic recovery. And I believe the policies we put forward have been based on very sound economic advice uh, and are the right policies uh, for this time. Great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. much. My pleasure. Thank you.